Hi, well-disguised listeners, well-disguised-ers. I don't really have a good name for you people yet. There's not a obvious connotation, at least not to me, something, you know, along the lines of deadheads or what have you. But I'll put that in the workshop. We'll, we'll keep churning on that. Again, thank you for listening to this, the latest episode of Well Disguised. As you know, this is a rock and metal podcast. My tagline is rock snobbery about lowbrow music. And I like to think, at least in my head, that Well Disguised is the thinking person's rock podcast, that my target audience is smart. So if that makes you feel better about listening, I thoroughly encourage that. All that said, I know that there are Things that we could perhaps quibble about in my little description there about the podcast and without getting into some of the more outlandish claims I make about it. One of those is actually that it's a rock podcast. I would have to concede this is mostly, I know, a classic rock podcast. I do fight that. I do try to reach out and listen to new things and listen to new music. Just as a for example, I have spent a pretty significant part of the last 48 hours or so listening to the new album Monuments by the band Vintage Caravan. Vintage Caravan is actually, though, not really a new band. Now, the album is very new, but they formed in 2006. They were gigging regularly by 2009. They come to us from Iceland, and while they're probably just a really good rock band, There's a part of me that hears a little bit of jazziness in the drums, and I thought today as I was listening to them, this is kind of progressive sludge music, and I totally mean that as a compliment. But again, that band is almost old enough to drive a car here in the United States at this point. I can't say they're exactly new, really. Earlier this week on Twitter, I posted how I was kind of digging Royal Blood again lately. That's when Rye famously of Sabbath Bloody Podcast and lately his new project, North by South, informed me that I shouldn't feel cool for liking Royal Blood at this point, that they had broken 2014. I don't even know if that's true. I'm going to take his word for it. He's probably right. I don't feel like a need to fact check it because I only, quote, discovered Royal Blood a couple years ago. At this point, I think that does make me pretty cool. For me to have caught on to a band that started in 2014 and 2019, I feel like I'm doing pretty good. I mean, I wasn't cool in 2014. I wasn't cool in 2004. I wasn't cool in 1994. I'm starting to take my chances now. I think I'm starting to come around compared to my average competitors here in 2021 as a 45-year-old man. I'm not saying I'm cool. I'm just saying I'm a little above average. Maybe, sort of. Alright, enough with this silly digression. The point is, I know I've done a lot of episodes on this podcast about bands and songs and albums that came out a long time ago. I'm going to call this one a compromise, though. A little bit of a best of both worlds. This wasn't the episode I planned, but honestly, I forgot until last Tuesday that I had, a few months ago, pre-ordered the CD-slash-Blu-ray of Leonard Skinner's Live at Nebworth 1976 concert. I'd actually planned to do this episode about a different live record. And then, again, Tuesday, April 13th, I got this Blu-ray and this CD, and I watched the Blu-ray that night, and then I watched it again, and I've continued to absorb it 
And it felt like something I needed to talk about and wanted to talk about and wanted to share with you in case you weren't familiar with it and might want to listen or buy it yourself. So that's my compromise. This episode is about new music, a very new product. It just happened to be recorded 45 years ago. But it's really good. I'm John Pritchard, your host, and this is Well Disguised. Now, I'm going to tell you something right now that's probably obvious to any of you that have any familiarity with American culture. I am a Southerner. I was born in North Carolina. I went to college in North Carolina. I went to grad school in North Carolina. I've basically had three jobs as an adult. All three of those jobs are in North Carolina or have been in North Carolina. I would say there's pretty good likelihood that I'm going to die in North Carolina. Even if I don't, when I was three or four years old, my second cousin was killed in a tragic car accident, and obviously my great uncle and his wife were devastated by that, and one of the little things that my grandfather did to try to help ease that time for them is he went ahead and bought the burial plot for my second cousin, who I don't remember. I don't remember any of this, really. But in addition to buying that plot, he also bought several more. So so whether I die in North Carolina or somewhere else, there's still a plot of ground that metaphorically has my name on it now and someday literally will have my name on it. So I'm a North Carolinian, and that makes me a Southerner. And that makes Leonard Skinner kind of an important band. For you see, if you didn't know... Leonard Skinner is the foremost, preeminent Southern rock band that there ever was. Maybe Skinner wasn't always that. Maybe the Allman Brothers, for a period of time, were the Southern rock band. And honestly, the Allman Brothers, technically, probably a more proficient band than Leonard Skinner. But all that changed with the song Sweet Home Alabama. Now, I remember the first time I had a serious conversation about the song Sweet Home Alabama because it was probably the first time I'd ever really had a serious conversation about any piece of music. I was a junior in high school and hanging out with some other guys, one of whom was a senior and a very smart kid at that point, and I'm sure he's still a really smart man now. But he was telling us at the time about how Sweet Home Alabama was actually this very racist song. That Sweet Home Alabama references Governor George Wallace. It's not referenced by name necessarily, But it's clear from the connotation and the time that it was released that it's talking about Governor Wallace, the pro-segregationist governor of Alabama. And the line of the song, of course, is, In Birmingham, they all love the governor. Woo, woo, woo. And I'm sorry there for my terrible singing, but you've probably heard that before. Anyway, and I thought, wow, I never really paid attention to that or had thought critically about it or considered it at all. I just thought that Sweet Home Alabama was this cool song that they played on WRFX out of Charlotte. 
as I've grown older, of course, I've learned that not only was my older friend wrong about Sweet Home Alabama, but he was wrong in ways that built on ironies that sort of built on other ironies about the song. It starts, of course, with mishearing or misunderstanding the lyrics. It's not, in Birmingham, they all love the governor, woo, woo, woo. It's in Birmingham, they all love the governor, boo, boo, boo. And we all did what we could do. Because Leonard Skinner, frontman, singer, leader, Ronnie Van Zant was actually a registered Democrat. He supported Jimmy Carter for president of the United States. And his values did not align at all, really, with the racist politics of Governor Wallace, despite Leonard Skinner's then and now use of the Confederate flag. Of course, this all gets a little weirder and more ironic because Sweet Home Alabama was actually written as a riposte to Neil Young, whose songs Southern Man and Alabama had kind of portrayed that caricatured, stereotypical view of the South as a bunch of racist hicks. Leonard Skinner's response seemed to be, we're not racist. We are hicks, but we're not racist. Neil Young, we don't need you around anyhow. Anyway, the misperceptions about this song, its meaning, the lyrical content, not only included my high school friends, but continue to go back and forth to this day. People don't understand that Leonard Skinner and Neil Young were actually fans of each other and Neil Young even performed Sweet Home Alabama sometimes after the tragic plane accident that wiped out so many members of Leonard Skinner. This is all just sort of my long-winded way of saying where I come from, Leonard Skinner's a big deal. If you're from Boston and you're into the Dropkick Murphys, I get it. If you're from Boston and you don't really love the Dropkick Murphys, but you kind of feel like you gotta rep them, I get that even more, because that's kind of how I feel about Leonard Skinner. Still... I was really excited when I heard about this release because I was familiar with at least the version of Freebird that had been performed at Nebworth in 1976. And I apologize to my English or British listeners if I'm not pronouncing Nebworth correctly. If you're not a monster Leonard Skinner fan, not some sort of Leonard Skinner completist, I suspect you don't have a great familiarity with this particular concert. And if you do have some familiarity with it, I suspect it is for that performance of Freebird, which closes the show. You can certainly catch it on YouTube. I know that's how I caught it. I think I was hanging around a Howard Stern fan group and one of the off-topic postings on this particular group one day was, you know, the best guitar solos of all time and Someone had obviously posted that one of Prince from the uh, award show or Hall of Fame, whatever. And then there were others. And at some point, 20 or 30 posts down the line, someone put up a clip of Skinner playing Freebird at Nebworth. And it blew my mind. It's absolutely fantastic. And I'll talk a little bit about what happens there as we get into talking about the actual show itself. But just from seeing that one song... And hopefully giving you enough backstory that, yeah, I like Leonard Skinner, but Leonard Skinner is not gospel to me. And Freebird is not something I'm going to get tattooed on my body. But man, that that performance is smoking. Alright, let's get into the background of what happened to bring this band from Florida, United States of America, to Nebworth 
on a show headlined by the Rolling Stones. So, the show took place on August 21st, 1976, America's bicentennial year, in Nebworth Park in Hertfordshire. And I am sorry to my English listeners if I'm butchering the pronunciations of any of these places. Hertfordshire may very well be your Chicago, or it may very well be your Greensboro, I don't know. In any event, Hertfordshire, Nebworth Park. And again, I've talked about how the Rolling Stones were the headliner, but it's incorrect to say this was just a concert. It was actually a festival, and it's interesting when you read about how many people were there. Estimates range from around 104,000 to upwards of 300,000. Here's a disclaimer. I am no crowd-estimating expert, but from watching the Blu-ray, I'd find it a little hard to believe there were 300,000 people there. But then again, this was a festival, and Leonard Skinner was not the headliner. Obviously, that was the Rolling Stones. But Leonard Skinner wasn't even the main support. If you paid the entry fee of slightly less than five pounds, the curtain-jerking group was the Don Harrison Band. I have now told you almost everything that I know about the Don Harrison Band. I do know that they included a couple members of Credence Clearwater Revival, or former members of CCR. They were preceded by Hot Tuna. Hot Tuna includes surviving members or part-time members of Jefferson Airplane. A little bit bigger name came third on the bill, Todd Rundgren. When Todd finished, there were three acts to go. Leonard Skinner. 10cc, and the Rolling Stones. Now, Leonard Skinner was next. They were the fourth act to go. So when you watch the Blu-ray, you're watching a band begin and end in daylight. Just to skip ahead a little bit, there appears to be some drama that happened with the 10cc performance. This is the type of thing that when you read about festivals from the 1970s, you seem to hear about all the time. But there's at least accusations that 10cc was delaying their show, complaining of technical difficulties with the idea that perhaps they were hoping to put things off so long that the Rolling Stones would actually have to go next and 10CC would close the show. Like I said, you read about this happening for these festivals all the time, at least back in the 1970s. It's really hard to believe now that if I were to go to a festival and that all that remains would say, oh, our Guitars are still stuck in baggage at the airport. Metallica, you go ahead, play now, and we'll see if we can get our guitars in time that we can play the final nighttime slot. It seems ridiculous to me. Whatever. 10CC did go on late. The Rolling Stones went on really late. But hey, it's only rock and roll. Back to Leonard Skinner. Leonard Skinner wasn't a very well-known property in England in 1976. This is illustrated in the Blu-ray, in the concert footage. And look, I'm not dumb. Well, I'm not that dumb. I am not immune to the idea that these images can be manipulated in the same way that a reality show can be manipulated so that, oh, these people live together for four months and they show us maybe 20, 30-minute episodes with commercials or whatever. I get that. But it does appear that you can see a crowd change over the slightly more than one hour running length of this concert. In the beginning of the show, the crowd looks bored. 
polite. There's a few people up and dancing and kind of being into Leonard Skinner, but not that many. A lot of people are just kind of milling around, looking around like a, you know, like a like a concert, like an opening act, like not even the opening act, the the first opening act or whatever. Skinner lights into the crowd with Working for MCA, their clever song about playing songs for the record company, and it's electric from the start. The crowd may not get it, but if you're sitting at home or driving in your car listening to it, you'll get that you're in for something special right from the beginning. A couple more War Horses are next. The first is I Ain't the One. Leonard Skinner's got a whole lot of songs about being free, right? About not being able to tie me down. This is the first one of the show. Their anti-handgun anthem Saturday Night Special was next. They then settle into a couple of their perhaps lesser known, at least to modern classic rock listening audiences. Searching and Whiskey Rock and Roller come next. Like I said, you can't tie Leonard Skinner down. The next track is Traveling Man. It's preceded by the comical Don't Kill Me anthem of Give Me Three Steps. The next is one of two covers that they do in a row. And again, keeping with that common freedom Leonard Skinner theme, it's Call Me the Breeze. And then it's T for Texas. There is not a duff number among these opening, whatever, eight or nine songs. Every single one is really solid and worth your time and draws your attention. Everyone's on great form, including the so-called honkettes, the three female backing singers, which are prominently displayed in the Blu-ray, at least. They look, they look like they're on the back of the stage, but they do get a lot of screen time. And again, this is 1976. The camera angles are not always great. There's not 25 different cameras capturing every aspect of the show. There's a handful of camera angles that you see over and over, interspliced with lots of different crowd shots. I'm not sure if I just made up the word interspliced. If it's not a word, probably should be. I'm going to leave it in there. Now, as I said, you can sense a growing crescendo of crowd appreciation. It's not always enormous, but you can see that it's getting bigger or bigger. Or, perhaps to give credit where credit's due, the documentary makers, the director or whatever who has eventually put this footage together does a good job of giving that impression. But when you get to the end, even if that's what was going on earlier, it's impossible really, I think, to fake at this point. Sweet Home Alabama is the next-to-last song, the penultimate track. And then finally they end with this legendary classic version of Freebird that turns however many people are there, 100,000-plus people at Nebworth, into country rednecks losing their mind. It's honestly fun to listen to and fun to watch, but it's also fun just to think about and ponder as to why this is. Again, Freebird is the classic Southern rock song. I know if you're listening to this podcast, you've heard it. You've probably heard it a thousand times. And it has that theme at the beginning, the first half of the song that I've talked about, as so many Leonard Skinner songs are, that idea that it's a beautiful song. It's, it's, it's a loving song in a way. But the lyrical message is, I'm a road dog. I can't live a normal life. I can't live a married life. I got to be out there traveling. I want to be free as a bird. 
and it's beautiful and it's sweet. And then it goes Judas Priest with a sign to Hush Puppies at the end. It is a rollicking, roaring, guitar-mageddon that you can shake your boogie-woogie to. It's a tremendous tune. And that's another thing. It's good to watch a crowd becoming enraptured by one of these old classic songs. It's easy to forget sometimes the power that a song like Freebird has, or even a song like You Shook Me All Night Long by ACDC, or even a song that's famous for being live, like Do You Feel Like We Do by Peter Frampton. There's something about that live audience experiencing it in the raw when it's real and it's really great that can bring you this fresh appreciation for a legend of the genre. And then there's that one other aspect of the performance. If you've ever seen this clip on YouTube or whatever, you'll know what I'm talking about. But if you've gone to a major concert before, uh, the type of place that plays in a basketball arena or a hockey arena or even a stadium, you'll know what I'm talking about. Frequently, there'll be a second stage, usually accessed by a ramp or two ramps sometimes, that the headliner gets to play on. I've even watched clips of the time when Axl Rose was filling in as the vocalist for ACDC. Angus Young was able to use these side stages going, you know, Angus Young is jumping all around, dancing all around the entire length of an ACDC concert. But he was going up and down these two side ramps. But everybody else in the band, including Mr. Paradise City, was standing on the middle part of the stage. It was only Angus that was allowed to use these side ramps. And certainly if everybody else in Guns N' Roses couldn't use them, showing Axl Rose, who's boss, they're not going to let the opening act do that. Well, the Nebworth Festival stage had a backdrop that sort of looked like a set of lips, and then this protrusion down the bottom, kind of going down a hill out to where the fans were, of another ramp that was sort of shaped to look like a tongue. Basically, and again, I don't know why 10cc might have thought they could have gone on after the Rolling Stones, but the stage and this ramp that kind of curves over uh, to your left, I guess, as you're watching the stage, was supposed to look like the famous Andy Warhol drawing of the Rolling Stones Lips logo. And certainly legend has it, as do some of the people involved, although I believe Keith Richards at least has denied it, that the other bands playing the show that day could stay up on the stage. And again, it's a festival. They're not even really that close to the crowd. But the other bands, you can stay on the stage, but you're not allowed to come down that ramp to the lower second stage, all of which is kind of shaped to look like the tongue part of the Rolling Stones logo. So what does Leonard Skinner do? During the three guitar slam fest that marks the second half of Freebird, Ronnie Van Zant, their frontman singer, you can tell, tells the band, we're going down that ramp. We're going out on the tongue. And he's pushing Alan Collins and Gary Rossington along and directing them, we're going all the way down there to the bottom of this thing where the fans are. Third guitarist Steve Gaines and bassist Leon Wilkerson joined them soon later. It looks like Leon's cable to his bass was not quite long enough to let him go down as far as everyone else went. But the guys from Leonard Skinner went out on that tongue. And it was basically like, this may be the Rolling Stones show. It may have been the Rolling Stones house. But good luck following us. 
One last thing. It's a marvel watching Ronnie Van Zant for an hour. I know we don't listen to music with our eyes. It's one of my favorite little quotes. I don't listen to music with my eyes. But it is hard not to get caught up in the theatrics sometimes, right? I was just watching three ghost videos earlier today. And no, they weren't concert performances. I've never seen ghost in concert. I can't wait till I get to. But there's so much theater and drama in that band. I just talked about ACDC, but if you see Guns N' Roses, it's not like Axel and Slash aren't jumping around all the time. There's certainly bands like Queen and Freddie Mercury, certainly a performer. I mean, it goes on and on. Mick Jagger was. David Lee Roth flying around and doing V-splits in the air. And then there's Ronnie Van Zant, who's got a tremendous voice. And that's pretty much what he relies on. But even then, he holds the microphone stand at sort of a 45-degree angle, barely moves, and is still so darn commanding on the stage. You can't take your eyes off of him, even when the guitar players are bouncing around. He is such a focal point, so much charisma in a man who just barely moves. It's reminiscent in a way of Lemmy, but even Lemmy trying to look cool, or at least he trying to look the way that Lemmy looks. Ronnie Van Zant just looked like a guy in a t-shirt and jeans. But the way he moved and the slowness and sometimes the way he moved, kind of graceful in a way, he's just mesmerizing. What a commanding, charismatic performer that man was. I don't mean to fall into the cliche of every Leonard Skinner story, but Ronnie and that version of the band only had a little over a year to go when they played Nepworth. The Blu-ray package includes a documentary that I haven't had a chance to watch yet. I think it's been out for a few years called If I Leave Here Tomorrow. Maybe that is an incentive for you to buy and watch this show, but this really is an important, I think, well, I don't know if it's important, but it's a really great rock concert. And if you're into rock and roll and you're listening to this podcast, so you probably are or you're a relative of mine, you owe it to yourself to check this out. You may even say to yourself, well, I don't really like Southern rock. It's kind of what I said. I, I don't always love Southern rock, especially when it sounds too much like country music. But this is just, I promise, this is just a great rock show. And besides, you know, Greg Allman once talked about Southern Rock and how he laughs at the term and doesn't even really acknowledge it because, after all, as we all know, rock music really is from the South. It's grown from black rhythm and blues music that grew up in the American South, and you can pick your own verb of choice as to what happened next, but whether it was appropriated or modified or improved, Rock music comes from the South. So, as Greg Allman once said, he didn't like the term Southern rock because rock comes from the South. He said, that's like calling it rock rock. Agree or not, this one actually is essential. I'm really grateful for Eagle Rock Entertainment, who's put together so many great concert videos and things over the years that they've dug this up, dusted it off, made it as pretty and sound as great as they possibly could. I hope you'll check it out. Now, at the risk of getting cliche again, and I don't like to be cliche if I can help it, and also 
talking about myself too much, which I also don't want to do. I will just say this or close kind of on this. I got my first real stereo in 1989 when I turned 14 years old. For various reasons I won't get into now. I wasn't really much into music before then, but I got heavily into music at that point. Certainly one of the songs that I would have encountered on classic rock radio in 1989 was Freebird, which came out in 1973, making it, obviously, 16 years old. So just for a little fun as a way to close this episode out, I decided to look back 16 years to some of the top rock songs of 2005. Now, I'm not saying that it takes 16 years for a song to cross the line and become classic rock. Freebird was probably already classic rock before 1989, but 16 years seems as good and arbitrary a measure as any other that I can think of. So let's go with that. What is now classic rock here in 2021? Here's a few choices. Best of You by Foo Fighters. That sounds about right. Foo Fighters are probably going into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame soon. Maybe this year, I think. Yeah, Best of You. That's classic rock at this point. How about Photograph by Nickelback? Or Beverly Hills by Weezer? Or Dance Dance by Fallout Boy? Fallout Boy, classic rock. Avenged Sevenfold might not be much of a rock band, but Bat Country came out in 2005. Maybe that's classic metal. Could Coldplay be classic rock? Fix You? How about Save Me by Shine Down? That feels like classic rock, I suppose, at this point. I don't know. I guess I could go on. There's Franz Ferdinand songs and Audio Slave songs, Nine Inch Nails. I guess Nine Inch Nails would have been classic rock anyway, but this bit feels hacky enough. I think I'll just shut it down. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Well Disguised. I think it's number 23, which is crazy and amazing. The numbers continue to go up. I really appreciate you listening, recommending it to your friends, retweeting When I release an episode, all that sort of thing, I would again encourage you, ask you, if you don't mind, it'll help grow the show. If you subscribe to the podcast, I think that lets Apple or whoever know that, hey, this person has subscribers, people who are that interested in hearing their show. So maybe they move it up in their metrics. Certainly also, if you leave a review, if you don't want to leave a five-star review, well, it's a It's a free country, or at least this country is. So I guess you can do what you want. But if you don't mind, if you like it at all, a nice little five-star review. Much appreciated. In any event, though, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and I'll see you again soon.